0: It's just the usual colors, as white or black. So this pink bike, I really enjoyed. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in because we're about to begin. I got something to say. Yo-ho! Welcome to episode 60 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a Semi-Pro Cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who is rocking a pink bike. Hey there, Semi-Pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist. And one very quick review to get us underway... Review five stars by Pastor Belly 57 from France. Great podcast. Keep them coming along. They really help pass the hours when I'm in the truck. Thank you, Pastor Belly. Great username, by the way. And if you really, really, really love the show, I would love if you wrote a review on iTunes. Thank you very, very much. Now, the news this week, and we're right in the middle of the welter. There has been some top racing, and i got to say, one of the great things is people just come out of nowhere in the welter. Maybe their team takes a chance on them. Maybe their team didn't even make it to the other tours. So that's one element that I really love. They let it all hang out, and we get some riders that are winning races that you just don't see other times of the year, unless you may be following some really, really obscure local or national races. But a handful of contenders are swapping the lead around, so it's starting to shake down a little bit and get interesting as we start moving into the business end. And for me, the big question really is, can Chris Horner win the welter? Does he have what it takes to win the welter? I was seriously in Doubt about his ability to back up from his stage three win. He was possessed on stage 10 and something inside of me now says that he is hungry and really must have something to do with having never won a grand tour before. And this is likely to be one of his last opportunities, if not the last opportunity, but he is absolutely ripping it up. He has shown himself as a serious contender, but can he follow through? But All I want to say right now is seriously what is up with those bars. It's basically like he's riding a touring bike and next he's going to have touring shifters on the end of them I just don't know what's going on. The other bits of news that were interesting this week, Uscatel, Uscadi, the big save by Fernando Alonso, which is super cool. And I saw a tweet by Matt Keenan saying, is this going to be the start of bridging the gap between cars and bikes? I think that's a huge call to make. It certainly is a step in the right direction. I know Mark Weber from my hometown is a big fan of cycling. So that's been around for a long time, but this could be the next step and we could see some interesting stuff coming out of this. I am fascinated by this move because not only is it a super cool move from someone stepping up, a local sporting hero stepping up and saving a countrywide sporting team from its demise, but maybe he's going to bring some Formula One mentality into their operation. I don't know how they run currently, but But actually having someone with hands-on experience that's gone through the F1 system may be a really good spot if he does take on a management role rather than just an owner. But either way, I think he will have a very positive influence on this. And we'll see how it shakes out in the next few months as they start to really finalize their roster for next year. Other than that, the mountain bike world championships were run and won on the weekend with both Nino Schurter and Julie Brissett backing up to do back-to-back world championships in the cross-country pretty amazing stuff. They really have it locked down so you can't mess with this. But the most exciting news if you are an Australian is Paul van der Ploeg rocking the Eliminator and winning the World Championship. You may think the Eliminator is a throwaway event but this guy has super duper amount of power and he has been a contender in Australia for a long long time. Only this year not getting a ride because he's felt the team folded for the World Cup Series. But I gotta say this guy is suited to more than just cycling so we're really lucky that he chose cycling and australia is really lucky to have him so well done paul and wear those colors with pride hopefully you get a ride next year so you can rock them even harder because we all know you have rad style. Okay, the nuts and bolts this week, aerodynamic fit testing, is it a real option? The question I'm trying to solve today is, is it worth it? It seems like it's a new value add for bike fit, but does it really give you any advantage? Overall, aero really is the latest and greatest buzzword that is rocking the road peloton and the road cycling market. It seems everything is starting to get the aero treatment these days, and I'm not sure exactly what the roots of this push is. There's been a steady progression ever since, I'd say, Greg LeMond, probably earlier, but Greg LeMond stands out in his fluoro one thing we definitely know is the aero market is exploding wheels, frames, tires, handlebars, helmets, seat posts, clothing, brakes, cranks, even pedals are getting the aero treatment. Seems a little crazy, but even pedals are. Manufacturers are continually developing products that allow cyclists to be more efficient on the bike. So this is the big claim. However, some of these products work great for some people and not so well for others. So this is going to be trying to figure out what works for you. So why have aerodynamics become a major priority for so many companies? Is there some validity behind the growing movement to get as aero as possible? I would say absolutely yes. You talk about how important aerodynamics are in cycling, and it's anywhere between 70 to 90% of a cyclist's effort, when you're not climbing on a steep grade, is dedicated to plowing through the air. So anything that can reduce that is going to be cash well spent. Well, it's a lot of cash, so it's money well spent if you've maximized your training. I'll always stand by that. But what about the claims made by companies making the products? The claims made by each company really don't mean anything on an individual level. Every situation is different. Every test that a company would be doing is different. And it may be the scenario and the way that things work in together. Everything is going to be different. And you really don't know unless you test your own personal setup. So there's no guarantee that you'll get advantages just from some manufacturer's claim. There are also other factors in your personal setup that may change the outcome. It could mean making simple changes like cleaning up your front end cabling, flattening your back, or even widening your handlebars. I'm not going there. But regardless of any exotic gear, your body represents the vast majority of total drag up to 80%. If you can't adopt a fast position on a fast bike or with any aero equipment then you're probably just wasting the whole thing so the gear will count for nothing at that point what's crazy to me is that even as little as two years ago i never would have even considered testing for aerodynamics but now that consumer facing options are popping up which are comparable to a good bike fit in price and they do generally include a bike fit. It's something to definitely throw into the mix. But other than marketing hype just for these services alone, let's take a look at the options out there and see how you can also run tests for yourself. So I've got three options for testing your aero editions here and twerking, sorry, I mean tweaking your setup. Yes, that was a cheap, cheap joke. Starting with the wind tunnel. So the wind tunnel measurement is currently considered the gold standard of bicycle aerodynamic testing. Of course it is. It's also the most expensive, which it can run you up to $800 an hour in a full pro wind tunnel. So when it comes down to the wind tunnel, there are now two consumer-facing, designed-for-bike-tests in the USA and these actually run at slightly cheaper at around $750 for a bike fit and a wind tunnel test. And the idea is you get your baseline in the wind tunnel, you go and get your bike fit done and then you go back to the wind tunnel and test that out first and then you make adjustments with any equipment from the original baseline of both. The strengths of a wind tunnel are that you can actually adjust the direction and flow of the air. So you can move the yaw of the air... Is that the technical term? The yaw? You can move the yaw of the air 10, 20, 30 degrees so you can actually figure out what it's like in certain crosswinds. One of the tricky parts, it doesn't actually tell you how it feels to ride on that equipment in a crosswind. So that can be tricky if you have a very heavily aerodynamic frame and a disc rear wheel. It may be impossible to ride a solid crosswind with that, but... Either way, you're still going to get the results of what makes the biggest difference in your position and then how you wear a helmet or clothing or where your actual arms are seated on the handlebars. One of the things with wind tunnel testing, it is traditionally just for components only. They do throw a rider in there, but really when a manufacturer is testing things, they may just be testing it with the component on its own. So having the ability to throw a rider on there definitely means that it is personalized towards you and you can make adjustments and see what improvements you can make. The cost is coming down. So with the FASTA, which is the name of the company that runs a wind tunnel in North Carolina, with that company, it's around $750 for a fit and aerodynamic assessment. That is basically comparable to a high-quality bike fit. And I would say you would get a lot of value out of doing this because you would have pro engineers that are actually assessing all of the elements, rather than just someone looking over you. So there is merit in this approach. The big drawback is you really have to be located near this wind tunnel, otherwise it's going to be even more expensive to get there. So this combination, I think, is good, but location-wise, it may be a little bit more difficult to actually get to this place, especially if it's just the USA that is offering this at the moment. All right. So the next technology that makes it possible to test out your aerodynamic position is the track aero system by Alpha Mantis Technologies, a Canadian company that is now licensing out this technology to other companies around the world. And they're based in velodromes and it's an actual test on your bike in a velodrome. And the idea is that it's able to determine aerodynamic drag in a dynamic environment rather them just in a closed off wind tunnel. DC Rainmaker did a great review on this and I'm going to bite a little bit of what he says because I don't have anything to add. He dove in and did an actual test himself and he writes that at a high level, the system is designed to produce an aerodynamic drag value based on the known, very precise distance around the track in conjunction with your bike transmitting data from an Ant Plus speed sensor and Ant Plus power meter. So by understanding how much power is required to go to a given speed on a specific surface, without any wind, they're able to determine the drag, which is ultimately what they're looking at when you're looking at which is more efficient or not. So more drag is bad, less drag is good. Obvious, yeah. So... So you're basically doing laps of a velodrome while you're testing out different options in your setup. Each test would go at about 10 laps so that they can determine any patterns and they can see any changes. And again, they start off with a baseline and then that is the comparison for any future changes in equipment or position. And something interesting which comes up and which will come up again and again is this balance between comfort and performance and how to find that middle ground. This is where the individual comes down to any of this testing where you have to be able to be in the position for the time that you will need it. And if you're doing a super long race, and your position is going to be a lot different to then if you're doing a 4K prologue, for example. It's all about the adaption that you can make to the position, and that's where this testing comes in to tell you where you can fit that middle ground. But perhaps the most interesting revelation with this type of testing is that it's not going to be specific items of aerodynamic equipment that may make the difference. It's basically the item in your setup that may make the difference so you could have two different types of helmets and depending on the rider one is better for one rider while one is better for the other rather than just taking the aero helmet that has the claim of a 10% faster 40k time trial for example so it really does depend on the individual and it is the tiny details that make the difference in the end so with this test it is 800 bucks for a two-hour session, including the fit. This one was done in LA at the Velodrome there, and they were originally bike fitters, and now they've got this technology to add to their bike fit, and they're doing it 800 bucks for a two-hour session. DC Rainmaker wraps it up with, is this better than a wind tunnel? And he concludes that it's not as simple as yes or no, which really doesn't help you make the decision, but it's probably better when a rider is involved because you can be fit to your actual riding. I believe that it would be be better because you would be on your bike and actually riding, not stuck. I don't know if you've seen the setup in a wind tunnel, but basically you are on rollers, but your front and rear wheels are fixed, so you can't move. They move the turntable itself to change the angle in the airflow, you don't actually shift. So the advantage of this could definitely be that. So there is a benefit I see in this type of testing over wind tunnel testing. But now the final way to test, and it falls into a practical aero testing that you can do yourself, and you don't even need a power meter, but I think a power meter would be one of the better parameters to measure it by. But if we set out to do a test ourselves outside of any of these systems, it is possible and you can see the differences. When we are setting out to conduct the experiment of one, which I have mentioned a bunch of times, it is really important to define the goal of the test and what you have to work with. So what components do you want to test? Is it the effect of a new position, a new set of wheels? Like I have said, I would already just start with your position. And once you have that nailed in, then I would start the add-ons. But what you want to look at is the relevant parameters for this test are. And Really, the things that you are having to look at because you're going to test outside and you're going to test with your own equipment is average power, average speed, wind speed, wind direction, course length, course profile, elapsed time, and your bike setup, including everything. So add tire pressure in there as well. But you want to have control parameters. You want to decide whether it's going to be average power or average speed. And then course length, course profile, and of course, that bike setup. There's a way to add some extra parameters that would actually really tell you a lot and it's based on this new technology from Zephyr Technology and it's the Bioharness. I think I have actually mentioned it before but it really is just a fancy heart rate monitor that measures torso angle, heart rate, breathing, chest expansion, core temperature and G-forces. So, As you go through the test, the Zephyr allows your biometric data to be constantly monitored and you can download this after you've done the test to see whether the position that you're in is actually constricting your breathing and your posture. And I think this is a really, really solid way to see if you are compromising yourself in any way. And so in this test, the parameters that can vary here are Firstly, bike position, so I would nail in bike position first, then I would go to things like wheels, handlebars, helmet, and clothing. The variables that can't be controlled You can't control the weather, the wind speed, and the wind direction. They need to be monitored so that if you want to replay this test at a later date, you know what these small changes do, and you can make the adjustments accordingly. We're going to try and offset that by averaging results over multiple tests, though. So the course layout, you just want to identify a road that is long enough so you can have a steady effort, but not so long that at a constant speed cannot be maintained. To test aerodynamic performance, look for a flat course of about one kilometre, without any obstacles, no traffic lights, nothing that's going to get in your way. Second, decide if you will ride for constant power or constant speed. I would choose power first if you do have a power meter. If you select a constant power, you'll be looking for the change in average speed. But you can choose average speed. Whatever you do, you are going to be looking at the opposite in changes. So I'll get to that in a second. But whichever you select, use the power level or speed you are targeting for your event. So next, you want to set that baseline. Every single option here sets a baseline. So you use your original position or original wheels or whatever you're doing, and then you perform the test five to ten times. So you ride that one kilometer at the set pace that you have chosen five to ten times, less if weather conditions are good and it's not so crazy, but if it's a little more unstable, then the more the better because we're going to average out the variations. And once this baseline test is completed, make your adjustments and repeat the test. It's as simple as that and you can do it over and over and over again. And as soon as you've completed all of those tests, now is the time to look at the data. So once the data has been collected, calculate the average values for the parameter you measured. For example, if the test was done at a constant speed, calculate the average power for the baseline tests and the average power for the modified setup. And to get the difference, just subtract the average of the baseline test from the average of the modified setup. In this case, a decrease in the average power, a negative number, indicates an improvement in aerodynamics. Wrapping this up here, surprisingly or not, bike fitting is the first step in getting your bike set up for better aerodynamics. This technology is more about quantifying the balance between comfort and performance. It's not as simple as purchasing a new aero bike, wheels or helmet though. Just like bike fits are unique to each individual, aerodynamics are also unique to each person. And like Steve Hogg might say, it's about working within the limitations of each individual. So this newly accessible technology is simply reinforcing that, but it also gives peace of mind that you've done everything possible to optimize your performance within your limitations. As far as an order of things that I would do, I would really try to test yourself for free and then work on just changing your position as your meta baseline. If you are then going to move on to test any type of other aero kit, helmet, clothing, shoes, or whatever, I would recommend borrowing the aero kit before you buy it and testing because that will give you a better idea to see if it works for you. Okay, so moving on to the tech hacks and products section, I want to talk about the product, the Zephyr Bioharness, and it is a pretty exciting thing, and the application in this example is absolutely perfect. I think there would be other applications, but at the moment, just having the measurements of heart rate, breathing rate, posture, activity level, acceleration, speed, distance, GPS, I think they're totally valuable. Yes, this is a product that is used by football players during training and maybe matches, I'm not entirely sure, but it It really does apply to this idea of being in a certain position. Does it compromise your performance and is that worth it? It would be really interesting for someone like Cadell Evans to run this bioharness because his time trial position is so gnarly. I'm sure he has been tested extensively, but still it's hard for me to believe that there's no compromises in his setup at all. I'll put a link in so you can check out the bioharness and make any decisions whether it would be worth it in your cycling setup now to that quote from the top of the show. It's Zenik Stibar, the cross rider that beat Philip Gilbert in a photo finish to win last Friday's seventh stage of the welter. The dude is an absolute gun. I'm so glad he's made the crossover to road riding to make it a little bit more exciting. You would have seen him in the Roubaix this year crashing out by hitting a spectator when he was in the lead Three, So that was an absolute bummer But I'm sure it's not the last we see of him He's a young guy He's got a big future still ahead of him So it will be super cool to see him rocking out in road races Especially if you've seen that gif Of him rocking the gutter around that corner Oh man, it is hot stuff And he has got skills up the yin yang It's exciting But anyway, that's it for this week So till next week Get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave Or the hurt box Whichever one you're into After 17 years of burning my own engine, pushing the pedals, I've uh, afforded myself the luxury of a bit of a toy. 640 horsepower of Lamborghini Murcielago.